Welcome to the Retire Right Podcast with Larry Heller. You deserve complete financial advice. There's no acceptable alternative if you want a plan to live well and on your terms. Complete financial advice equals complete peace of mind. Now, let's get into this week's podcast episode. Hello and welcome to episode number 21 with Larry Heller. Today's topic is divorcing later in life, what you need to know. And Larry has brought on a very special guest. She is attorney Gail Rosenblum, a partner at Rubin and Rosenblum, a divorce and family law firm located in Melville, New York. Thank you very much, Gail, for being a guest on the show. And Larry, take it away. Thanks, Matt. Uh, Thanks, Gail, for joining us. Gail, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your law firm? Thank you, Larry. Thank you, first and foremost, for having me here today. I have my own practice. We are located in Melville. I've been practicing for over 15 years now, exclusively in the areas of matrimonial and family law. We help people going through sometimes very difficult issues in their life. And we both handle matters both inside and outside of court, primarily hoping that, hoping that we are able to negotiate fair settlements with them outside of court. Great. Thanks, Kale. So one area that we kind of see as a wealth management firm these days is older couples getting divorced. And a lot of people call that gray divorce. I actually recently read a study by Pew Research saying that among those age 65 and older, divorce has actually tripled since 1990. So what are some of the things that may be different for an older couple going through a divorce, Gail? First and foremost, Larry, is the the amount of assets they have acquired during the course of their marriage, knowing what their assets are. Sometimes one spouse during the marriage is in control of the assets more so than the other. So it's very important, first and foremost, that both spouses know and understand their financial situations. Because, Larry, for the most part, when, when you're getting a divorce, it's to some degree dissolving a financial partnership. So it's really critical that both sides know what's involved with their finances. That's a great point, Gail. So how do you help your clients or the, the, the spouse or the ascertain that the other side, all the information is there? Well, first and foremost, one of the very, very first steps after a client were to retain my firm is I give them what's called a statement of net worth. And they're required, and, this, and it's actually a legal document to some degree, it's statutory, where they have to go through, that's a 23-some-odd-page document, where they have to put down all of their information regarding their finances, including their monthly expenses, including their assets, including their liabilities. And of course, yes, sometimes it's troublesome that they don't know what's there. So that's when I really take the time and go over with them specifically and question them. And after I first give them the opportunity to do it on their own, and then I sit down with them and go and question each and every item on that statement of net worth. Great. So let's talk a little bit about some of the you know more specific areas that may be affected for older couples. And one of them is the you know the retirement accounts. But you know now that if they're older, they maybe accumulated a lot of money in the retirement account. So you know what are the different types and how do they impact a divorce and how do you handle them? That's a great question, Larry. Because so many people come to me under these assumptions when I talk about retirement. They say, "Oh, my spouse has a pension." And I say, well, how do you know that? Where were they employed? And, and, and where, where, what was the source of that? And we start talking based on my questioning. And it, believe it or not, it turns out that a lot of people don't have pensions. 
they have other retirement benefits, such as a 401k plan, an IRA plan, a 403b, a defer, any sort of different type of deferred compensation plan. So yes, that's a very, it's very important to know that, certainly from tax, from tax perspective, etc. And of course, from financial planning. So for how overall, just to set the foundation, first thing, first things first, with respect to retirement accounts, and I wonder if you'll agree with me, is that all retirement accounts have to be in one individual's name. They're not set up as joint. Would you agree with me? Yes. So with that said is, in a matrimonial matter, in a divorce, anything accumulated during the course of the marriage is marital, mm-hmm. irrespective of whose name it's in. So if somebody has, for instance, a 401k, it can be distributed to the other spouse. And we can get into, of course, different ways of how that's dealt with. Right. We recently had a client that was separating. They weren't actually going through a legal separation, and they just wanted to split their large 401k plan, large IRA in half. And they didn't understand. We told them we can't do that, that you need to speak to an attorney so why is that and what are some of the ways that you know, you can do that? Certainly you're 100% correct and you cannot do it as a as for, in order to divide if you will a 401k plan for instance under it must be via a matrimonial matter to avoid any tax consequences although I can't and I will not give any tax advice right. I'm just an attorney but in order to divide a retirement account from one retirement account into another retirement account, it must be via a, a legal separation, and I should say, to be clear, a judgment of separation or a judgment of divorce. So in other words, you do not have to actually get divorced, but you do in fact need a judgment of separation because there are people out there that do wish to remain married mm-hmm. for their own personal reasons. But in order to distribute a retirement account, as you said, Larry, that's exclusively in one individual's name, Mm -hmm. to go from one retirement account again to another retirement account, you do need an order of the court. The reason being is if you do not, there will be tax consequences as if you pulled out the money. Absolutely. And, you know, unfortunately, clients sometimes don't understand that and they get frustrated when we tell them that they can't do it because they want to do it. So, uh, so there are some challenges, you know, challenges with that. So what are some of the legal ways of dividing retirement accounts? So certainly, Larry. So basically, there's two ways in connection with, and again, I emphasize a legal separation, or I should say a judgment of separation or a judgment of divorce. So once two spouses obtain a judgment of divorce, you can in one of two ways, either do a direct rollover, and this is all contingent upon, it's not my rules and regulations or the court's rules and regulations, mm-hmm. it's really up to the plan administrator. So the where the, the funds are housed, if you will, and who manages the funds and how they're set up, will determine whether or not the parties need one of two things. One, it could be via a direct rollover, mm-hmm. which is the easier way to do it, less complicated where the plan administrator has forms where you show them that the divorce decree or the judgment of separation and they the two and two individuals fill out forms and it's a direct rollover from one from one the sole title spouse if you will into the other spouse's account and the other way because there are a lot of uh, plan administrators that do not accept that and that they they request what's called a domestic relations order or a qualified domestic relations order I'm happy to explain the difference 
but basically it is a court order that we have prepared. My firm sends it out there to a third party who prepares it. We review it. They get plan approval. That's key, and that's what makes it qualified. Once the plan approves it, sometimes it's mm -hmm. needed, sometimes it's not. That's why I just wanted to decipher between the three different mechanisms. Again, easy rollover, no court, domestic relations order, not having pre-approval, and qualified domestic relations order needing plan pre-approval. Once that's all in order, we submit it to the courts, the judge signs off on it, and then we serve it upon the plan administrator. The plan administrator then executes it. And that's how the non-title spouse is able to receive the funds that were not originally in their name. Right. And like you mentioned earlier, the reason why we need to do this is we want to avoid either spouse having to pay any, any taxes. Let's talk about some of the other areas uh, that may affect older older couples. And one, you know, separate property. Obviously, that's also going to affect your own couple. Actually, one thing that we should clarify that we are talking right now in New York State. So, what Gail is referring to, some is federal law, but some is going to be specifically for New York State. So, if you're listening to our podcast outside of New York State, make sure you get legal advice in that state that you uh, that you live. Certainly. So, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, how, you know, separate property is is handled. Excellent question. Yes, delete that. Separate property is basically broken down into three major components. Number one is any any assets acquired prior to your marriage. Separate property is anything acquired by either spouse prior to the marriage. Gifts from third parties to an individual spouse. Inheritance received to either spouse, and last but not least, any sort of personal injury injury award. All of those four items, if you will, are considered separate property with the exception of whether or not they've been commingled. In other words, if you receive an inheritance, say, of, say, $100,000, and you keep that $100,000 exclusively in your name during the course of your marriage, then after divorce, that, 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 those funds in that account will still remain your separate property. That's a great point. And, you know, we actually bring that up with clients when they are receiving inheritance, not to step on any clients that have fine marriages, but we do point that out to them that when they are getting an inheritance, the pros and cons of commingling and putting in a joint account versus keeping it keeping it separate. So, uh, so those are you know those are great great points. Let's talk a little bit about you know Social Security because you know gray divorce you may be close to Social Security and or already receiving Social Security. So how does you know the impact of the you know divorce? impact Social Security and what are some of the things that you know should you should keep in keep in mind? Well the key thing is first and foremost is Social Security you're only eligible for Social Security or I should say through your spouse if you will is if you are married at least for 10 years. So irrespective of your age it doesn't really matter. You must be married for 10 years. If you are married for less than 10 years you will not receive Social Security benefits from your soon to be ex spouse. So that's something certainly to contemplate, mm -hmm. if you will, when making that decision. Yes. And, you know, there are some other things such as that we're aware of that, you know, that you can have more than one ex-spouse and it doesn't make a difference how much how much they receive. But one of the, the interesting parts is that we deal with if there is a second marriage and somebody is getting spouse 
that if that's getting Social Security, that when they remarry those divorce spouse benefits, Social Security benefits, you know, stop. So uh, so it's real important in this. So, you know, as part of the Social Security, you know, cash flow, you know, how do you, you incorporate that when trying to come up with a equitable situation? Well, it's certainly taken into consideration because, look, you number one, first and foremost, as we were discussing before, when we talked about a statement of net worth, you want to know the individual's assets. Are any of their assets income producing? Mm-hmm. Do they have any do any of these individuals? have any so any means of other sources of income other than social security other than potential other assets are they still working do they have pensions and pay status so we want to look at everything that's involved great now let, let's talk about you know something that maybe not is uh, relates to everybody but you know a business you know especially a, a mature business you know somebody who's later in life and the, the business may be a major asset of the couple um, you know, how does that handled and what happens if there is not, you know, enough assets outside? So why don't you tell, talk a little bit about, you know, a little bit about that. So with respect to businesses, as we discussed before, it talks about separate property, a business. If a business is acquired during the course of the marriage, it's marital in nature. And first and foremost is irrespective necessarily of the um, ownership interest and the actual business in of itself. It falls under the category, like I said before, as a marital asset. Therefore, we, the very first step would be is to value the business if, in fact, the two individuals can't agree on the value of the business because it's considered an asset. And a lot of times, businesses, people really don't know exactly the value of their business. From one person, it might be, you know, scratch that. So you have the business valued as well as there's a second component, which needs to be brought to a lot of people's attention, is the income stream from this business. So we want to know the value of the business for purposes of it being an asset subject to what we call equitable distribution. And we also want to know the cash flow of the business so that so we know it from the 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 income derived for purposes of say spousal support. So we do have experts involved usually when when there's when two couple divorcing couples have business interests to determine what the value is and what the income stream is for purposes of spousal support. So what happens if they don't have enough outs, even if they have a lot of assets outside, but this business is just valued so high, can the courts actually force a sale of of the business? Usually not. I haven't seen it done. It's not common practice. Could it happen? I'm sure it could. Right. But to speak definitively to that, Larry, I would have to say no, no. Okay. because they want to keep the asset intact. The difference, of course, would be if the two individuals themselves agree to sell the business. Mm-hmm. But usually, if I, to go out here on a guess here, is right. if this business is successful and it's thriving, then I would surmise that there would be enough assets to the, for there to be a buyout or a set-off. But there, of course, are a lot of factors taken into consideration of that. Understand. Let, let's talk about, you know, insurance insurance a, a little bit. We're, we're actually talking to a prospective new client, and the uh, it was a stay-at-home husband who hasn't worked for numerous years, who's in his 50s. And it was interesting, but one of the big issues have to do with uh, with health insurance. So, you know, how is, you know, insurance, both health insurance and life insurance, especially in older couples, how is that handled as part of, you know, part of the divorce? So let's take that apart. First and foremost, with health insurance, health insurance by law, and that's uh, through the powers that be, 
you cannot stay on your spouse's health insurance once you are divorced, period, the end. In mm -hmm. fact, a couple of years ago, the, the our legislature came down that in every divorce that I do now, every divorce attorney out there that does, you have to sign off knowing that upon your divorce, you will not be eligible for medical insurance upon divorce, period. There is COBRA, mm -hmm. and for divorcing couples, it's for 18 months. So sometimes, and that a lot of sometimes people will negotiate to maintain insurance for the other privately or otherwise, so that they have medical insurance. But once you are divorced, actually, and I don't mean when you sign an agreement. I mean when you when the judge signs the judgment of divorce. That's when medical insurance has to terminate as a matter of law. Great. As far as life insurance, mm -hmm. life insurance is used for purposes to secure something. For instance, spousal support or child support, things of that nature. So that's really the only requirement for divorcing spouses, if you will, to mm -hmm. maintain life insurance for the benefit of one another. What about Social Security payouts? No, there wouldn't be anything. No, because because the divorced spouse, if you will, is not in control of those monies. Mm -hmm. Those monies are coming from the government. Gotcha. So the difference is, is the reason the lenders is who's in control of what. So it's basically, like I said, to secure the payment. So by way of example, if um, somebody, if spouse A is obligated to pay spouse B $5,000 a month in spousal support for the next 10 years. So they would need a life insurance policy to secure that amount for that duration. Mm -hmm. So if it were $60,000 a year over the next 10 years, you're looking at a life insurance policy of $600,000. I, I understand. Gail, this has been great. Is there anything else that we didn't really talk about more so that a you know, an older couple, a great divorce should kind of think about or contemplate or you would think would be important? The, mo the biggest thing that I would like to just emphasize on is getting to know what you have. It's critical to know what your assets are. If you're not sure, speak with a financial planner, speak with, speak with your tax advisor just to find out, even though you've had, say, hypothetically no role in it all these years, take the time, ask questions, because you'd be surprised at how much you can find out on your own without even going to your spouse who you potentially could have relied upon to do all these things because those are the roles that you had taken on in your marriage. Great advice. Gail, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. Matt, you want to take it away? Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank and you, everybody, thank for listening to the podcast today. This was episode number 21 with Larry Heller and his special guest, attorney Gail Rosenblum, a partner at Ribbon and Rosenblum in Divorce and Family Law Firm located in Melville, New York. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure that you take a moment and click the subscribe now button below. That way, every time Larry comes up with a new idea, a new podcast, and something else you need to know, it'll be delivered directly to your listening device. For Larry Heller and Gail Rosenblum, this is Matt Haller, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon.